You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. Philippians chapter 2, if you would please, Philippians chapter 2. I have been sick since Tuesday, but I've been so thankful that it's been a mild cold and I have not had much, many symptoms, and I've been able to just take some NyQuil each night and feel fine. I was telling my wife yesterday, I'm thankful even compared to her sickness, I'm not even coughing that much. And so she was coughing a lot when she had it, and I haven't even coughed that much until this morning I was teaching Sunday school, and I couldn't stop coughing the whole time. And I realized what it is, I don't cough because I don't talk. I start coughing when I talk, and so that's the, that's the key. If you're sick and you want to stop coughing, just stop talking, and it'll, it'll just, I'm not sure if that's the way it works, but... That's the way it was for me this morning. All of a sudden, I was coughing a lot. And so I apologize if I cough a lot. I took a cough drop. I have water here. I don't normally drink water if I'm preaching or teaching. I, I will try not to, but if I need to, I'll take that. And you understand that that's why. And don't feel sorry for me. I feel fine. I just sound terrible. And I hope that it's not too distracting. I hope it's not too unpleasant to hear my voice. And if it is, come back next week. Pastor will be back, and you won't have to hear me anyway. All right? And so for those of you visiting... I am the, the reserve, I'm the substitute, I'm put in the game uh, just because Pastor's on vacation this week and went away to be with his wife's family for Thanksgiving, and so he'll be back uh, on Wednesday, and so you can hear him going forward. But Philippians chapter 2, you're there, we won't read that for uh, a few moments here, but just be ready there. We've heard this, this quote, I'm sure most of us oftentimes said, there is no life so empty as a self-centered life. There is no life so centered as a self-empty life. We'll say it one more time. There is no life so empty as a self-centered life. There is no life as centered as a self-empty life. I'm going to preach this morning, it's not about you. It's not about you. This is a thought that has come to me several times as I think about so much of our life is self-centered, self-focused, and so many of our, so many of our problems so much of our life is complicated because the, our focus is on our own happiness, on our own desires, on our own pleasures. What, fill in the blank. It's on me. Um, and so much of our, our, our life is complicated because we have all of the focus pointed in the wrong direction. And as soon as we start to concern ourselves with even... Uh, my, my Sunday school class, I'm sure, gets tired of me saying this. I heard on a podcast this week. I'm an avid podcast listener. Always have an ear, uh, earbud in my ear. Always listening to a podcast. And I listen to a lot of storytelling podcasts. I listened to a story about this man. He was talking about a lot of troubles that he had in his life. And just he didn't have purpose. And he struggled with drugs and alcohol. And once he had kids, his focus turned to them. And I heard this secular man, it wasn't a Christian podcast, it was just a man telling his, his life story, and he said, once I had kids, my, life, my fo- focus turned on what they needed, and my life was so much easier. And I thought, there's a truth to that, that we find in Scripture even, that we're going to talk about today. When your life is so much on yourself, on making you happy, you're going to have a hard time making yourself happy when that's your focus. But when you turn your focus toward others, that's when, all of a sudden, life just gets simple. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, this morning. It's not about you. First of all, we're going to look at your problems. Your problems are not about you. 
I heard recently another man talking about his story, or, or actually it was, it was in conversation talking to somebody, about a relative they had whose child is going through cancer and, and a lot of health issues, and the wife is a believer, the husband is not. And his thought process is, if God was real, if, if God was loving, why would he allow this to happen to an innocent child? And you think about that, and you think, that, that sounds right. That sounds like it makes some sense, right? And that's often some reasoning that you will hear in the world is, if your God is so loving, why does he allow this and this and this and this? And, and the flaw there is we are trying to apply human reasoning to God. And we cannot apply human reasoning to God. We think, as humans, we think we have the answer to everything. We think with enough prevention, with enough study, with enough medicine, with enough knowledge, we can solve all of the world's problems. <laughs> and God is just looking at us thinking, you're so silly. You don't even know what you don't know. But we claim that we know everything. Human reasoning is, is a problem. When we think that we can apply human reasoning to God, we will fall short every time. But that is, the question still remains, why do good things, why do bad things happen to good people? And why does good still happen to evil people? But our focus, even in that question, is selfish. It's self-centered. Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. But as Christians, we know if we got what we deserved, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be happy with what we got. Because the truth is, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, what does the Bible say about who is good? There's none good. There is no one righteous. See, good is a comparison. If I had two cans of green beans up here and one was expired and one was not, I would say, which one is good? And you would say, the one that's not expired. But if I had a can of green beans and a pan of bacon, and said, which one is good? You would say, not the green beans. <laughs> the problem is, we're comparing our bacon, or our green beans, to somebody else's expired green beans. They're still nasty. <laughs> I force myself to eat green beans, and my wife makes them, and I like them. I told her this week, I, they're palatable, and that was the highest compliment I could pay about green beans. They're palatable. But we compare ourselves, we think that we're good because we're looking at somebody else who is worse. But God looks at us and he sees evil. Because compared to perfection, we're wickedness. We're evil. And so the question of why do bad things happen to good people, well, there is no good people. So we can't use that human reasoning to apply that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 says, You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto the, to you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. No matter who you look at, we have it better than we deserve. And that's the truth. We don't like to admit that. We like to think of ourselves as better than we are. 
But the truth is, we all have it better than we deserve. John 9, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Even the disciples said, Jesus, why, does, why did this bad happen to good people? Whose fault was it that he was born blind? And Jesus said, answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. God has a bigger picture. It's not just about you. God has a bigger plan. You're just one piece of the puzzle. Our hurts, people that hurt us, all we see is how it affects me, what they did to me. But you realize when people hurt you, a vast majority of the time, what they did, it wasn't about you. We know the phrase, hurting people hurt people. Somebody has been hurt, and so they act out on that hurt. Most of the time, it's not because they were intending to hurt you. They're just doing what they know. And it has nothing to do with you. They weren't thinking, oh, I'm planning this so that they will be upset. Most of the time, it's not that. Most of the time, it had nothing to do with you. People are just doing what they know to do. They're just living their life the same way you are, Self-centered, thinking about themselves. Um, in, in a marriage, your husband or your wife does something and it offends you. Have you ever thought to consider, were they intending to hurt me? Or was it just careless? Or were they focused on what's happening to them? Most hurts that we feel, most offenses that come to us, we see it as they are doing this to me. But in most cases, it's a problem that they have with themselves. They're not doing it to hurt you. And when we realize that, and when we realize that the, the pain that has been inflicted on me, it wasn't about me, it makes it a little bit easier to take. It makes it a little bit easier maybe to forgive. When we consider what are they going through? How, how can you love your enemy? How can you do good to your enemy? Well, it starts with praying for them. It's impossible for us to do, by the way, on our own. <laughs> it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that the Holy Spirit does within us. But it starts with praying for them. It, star it starts with us taking our focus away from me and putting my focus in prayer to them. When you, you realize when you pray for somebody, especially for somebody who you're at odds with or who's offended you or you don't like or who's your enemy, when you start praying for somebody, what does God do? He starts changing you. It starts changing the way that you think about that person. You start to put yourself in their shoes. You start to consider the things that are hurting them in their life, the things that are affecting them, and you start to realize, oh, this is why they're doing what they're doing that hurts me. And you realize the truth that I just said, it's not about you. They were hurting you, but it wasn't about you. It's, based, it's because of the hurt that they're feeling. It's because of the circumstances in their life that are causing their life complications. 
Your problems, they're not about you. Your relationships, your relationships shouldn't be about you. You're in Philippians chapter two, look at verse number one. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Unity here. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in what? Lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. You see, it's not about me. Esteem other better than themselves. It's not about you. It's about someone else. It's about others. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Why? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Living like Christ means living for others means focusing on others. And you apply this to your relationships, you will transform your life. When your marriage becomes not about you, but about your spouse, you will transform your marriage. When your family, you turn your focus toward your children, it's going to change the decisions that you make, I guarantee it. Well, I deserve to be happy. That's a focus on me. What do your children deserve? They deserve to see me happy. Well, that's still focusing on you. Do, do they deserve to see a mother who loves their father? When your focus becomes, what do my children need me to be? Then now your perspective changes a little bit, doesn't it? And your relationships will be stronger. Your relationships will be better. How about your siblings? <laughs> well, my sister, my brother, they, they just, they do what they want. You do too. You realize how much of our life we live focused on what I want? Focused on me? It's everyone. It's, it's a natural thing. It's normal. But what does Christ say? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. The contrast of strife and vainglory, the contrast of this Division, this conflict that you have in your life, the contrast to that is in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Your problems, it's not about you. Your relationships, it's not about you. Thank God your salvation is not about you. Verse 5 again, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery 
to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Why did Christ do this? Was it he wanted to experience what we experience? Was it that he wanted to come to earth and leave a perfect heaven and paradise? Or was he thinking about somebody else? He was thinking of us. Made him, it was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth, things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Aren't you so grateful? Our salvation is not up to us. It's not about me because like I said before, we compare ourselves with someone who's worse than us and we think, I'm good. We think, maybe I'm good enough. But God doesn't compare us with somebody else who's worse than us. He compares us with perfection. We fall short, and we will always fall short. And if salvation is up to you, you've lost before you started. It's not about you. Because Christ humbled himself. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and then he shed his blood, he sacrificed his life, so that now when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees his son, Christ Jesus. And he sees perfection, and now he can accept you because it's not you, it's his perfect son. Christ paid the penalty for your sin. He paid your sin debt and said, put it on my account, let him go free. And all we have to do to receive eternal life, to receive heaven, is accept that free gift. Jesus paid it all for me. I am trusting in him. I'm accepting his free gift. And that's it. Put your faith in Christ. Salvation is not about you. You don't have to live a perfect life. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to give money to the poor. You accept Jesus Christ. And God now sees his righteousness instead of our unrighteousness. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost which he shed which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Our salvation is not about us, it's about Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made. But notice there, at the beginning of that passage I read, for we ourselves were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceiving, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. 
All of that comes from a self-centered life. Foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's what we were before the salvation of God. But after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by our works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Even the transformation that God gives to a Christian to change us from being self-centered to others focused, even that transformation wasn't from us. Salvation wasn't about us. Ephesians 2, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So our problems are not about us. Our relationships are not about us. Salvation, our own salvation, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And lastly, I want to say God's will. God's will for your life. It is the theme that is tied with every single message I preach to teenagers. Every time I preach in chapel has something to do with God's will. What does God have for your life? What is God's design and plan for your life? Our theme for the school year this year is my part of his plan. We have an image of a, of a puzzle with one piece. And we're trying to get them to focus on two things. First of all, what is your part of God's plan? What is your puzzle piece? Find out that. But even within that, where is the focus? <laughs> even as I'm teaching them, focus on your part of his plan. Focus on yourself. But in reality, God's plan is bigger than me. Um, I, I went back and forth deciding whether I was going to give this, this illustration. I'm a, I'm a puzzler. I do puzzles. And I recently did one. I started it at my, at my house. I have it on boards, and I moved it. I put it in the car, and I drove it to my parents' house and continued working on it there. And then I brought it back to my house, and I finished it this week. And wouldn't you know, there's one piece missing. Because when I was, I, I think when, when it happened was when I was driving to my parents' house, and it was in the back of the van, and I took a turn, and I forgot that I had the puzzle on that board in the back, and it shifted, and I heard it shift, and I heard some pieces fall. I thought, oh, no. So when I finished that puzzle, there's one piece missing. And I finished it. I taped it up. I put it on, It's on, hanging on the wall in my office, but there's that one piece missing. Because that, that piece was focused on itself. <laughs> He didn't want to be a part of God's plan. He wanted to go sit between the seats in the minivan. And he's there living his, living his best life. <laughs> but here's the thing. We, we have the teenagers focus on their part of God's plan. Focus on themselves. But the truth of the matter is, that puzzle, you go in my office, the picture's still complete. You see, you can see exactly where, Washington, you can see everything in Washington, D.C. Empire State Building, it's complete. God's plan 
will go on without you. That peace is the one stuck in darkness in the minivan. Is going to get sucked up by a vacuum cleaner. The peace is the one missing out. The picture goes on. You see, God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. The only one missing out, if I don't do God's plan, is me. If I don't surrender to God, then I'm the one earning a paycheck to provide for myself. And focused on my pleasure. And breaking the relationships that I have because I'm focused on myself. But when I surrender to God's will and say, what you have is best, I will follow that, then I get to be part of a bigger picture. And I have the support of all of the pieces around me. And I have the blessings of being part of something bigger than me. God's will is not about me. Now, my job is to find where I fit and my part of that. But even as I'm doing that, I'm focused on others. I'm focused on connecting the pieces around me that I'm next to. I'm focused on doing my part of the body of Christ. If all were the eyes, where were the hearing? We all have a different role. But everyone has a role. And you do your part to connect the people around you. Pastor can't keep us all connected. If it's up to him, this church is going to die. It's up to each and every one of us doing our part, connecting the church. Jeremiah 1, then the word of the Lord came unto me saying, verse 4, Jeremiah, uh, go ahead and turn there. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse number 4. Here we're going to see Jeremiah faced with God's will. And when we, when we see God's will, we think, I could never do that. Probably, if I were to come to you and say, hey, you got tonight's message you're preaching. You'd think, I can't do that. I thought I couldn't do it either. Here I am. Because it's not about me. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse number 4. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Your God telling Jeremiah, I have a plan for you. I had it before you were even born. I had a plan for you. And you know Jeremiah is not unique. God has a plan for you too. And he had that plan before you were even born. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. Jeremiah, with, when faced with God's will, with God's plan for his life, God said, I have a plan for you. You're going to be this great prophet. Jeremiah said, I can't do that. Where was Jeremiah's focus? On himself. And that's our focus when we say, oh, I could never do that. Our focus is on ourselves. This is not about us. But what did, what did God say to him in response? But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. 
And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Did God ever tell Jeremiah, you can do it? No, he didn't. I don't see that. What he told him is, I'm with you. What he told him is, you just say what I tell you to. See, when it comes to God's will, it's not about me. Because I can't do it. I'm a sinner just like you. What right have I to tell you what to do? None. But it's not about me. I'm just telling you what God told me. So you can say, you can call me a hypocrite, and you're right. You can say, you have no right telling me what to do, and you're right. I don't. But it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God. I'm giving you God's words. And if you find something different in, God, in the Bible than what I'm telling you, obey that and ignore me. Because I don't matter. And that's what he told Jeremiah. When Jeremiah said, I can't do that. I'm young. I can't, sit, I can't speak. God said, it's not about you. Just do what I'm telling you to do. I'm with you. Moses had the same, a similar situation, Exodus chapter 4. And Moses said unto the Lord, O oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, I will be with thy mouth. And I will teach thee what thou shalt say. Same thing. Moses said, I can't, I can't do it. And what did God say? Yes, you can. No, he didn't. He didn't tell him he could do it. He said, go, I'm with you. I'll tell you what to say. I will guide you. And that's the only way God's plan works, by the way. If I get up here and say, hey, this is what I've done. This is what I'm telling you. It's not going to work. Interesting, if you study the life of Moses... How old was Moses about when, he, when this was happening? Anybody know? When God was the burning bush, how old was Moses at this time? He's 80. 40 years before that, when he was 40, what was his attitude? You remember? Moses was, hey, I'm going to lead you guys out of Egypt. Let's go. I'm, I'm the man. I'm the leader. I'm going I'm to deliver you. Moses had a complete opposite approach. He thought he was the one that could do it. And he was ready. He was the leader. You look at his, his life, he was the perfect man for the job. He grew up, raised as in the palace. He was taught by the best teachers. He understood the, the culture. He was the one that could bridge the Egyptians with the Israelites and be the mediator to lead them out. And Moses knew that. And he thought, hey, I'm, I'm something. I'm going to do this job. And he got ran out of town. And he spent 40 years getting humbled. And now when God said, hey, you're the man for this job, Moses realized, oh, I can't do that. When he was focused on himself and thinking, I can do this, nope. When he said, God, I can't do this, God said, good, because it's not about you.
I'm with you. I'm the one that's going to do it. You just get to come along for the ride. That's God's will. That's God's plan. It's not a sacrifice for us. It's, hey, we get to come along and reap all the blessings of God. We get to let him worry about my income. I've said this before. It is not my responsibility to provide for my family. It is my responsibility to point them to God, to please God with my life. And as I do that, he says, I'll take care of your family. I would rather live in God's will and let him take care of me than to say, I got this, God. I'm going to live my life and do what I want. And God will say, okay, take care of yourself. Dangerous place to be. I don't want to be there. Because God's will, it's not about me. It's sacrifice. God never reassured his servants that they could do it. He only affirmed that he would be with them, that he could do it. Now, there's two ways to emphasize this message this morning. When I say it's not about you, we watched yesterday with, with some family the, the skit, Stop It. Um, we, we've played it over and over so many times in our church, so you couples have, heard, have, have seen it before, but um, in that skit, he's saying, he's yelling aggressively at his patient, Stop It. He's giving instructions, Stop It. And you could take this lesson, this message, and say, it's not about you. And I can preach at you like that. It's not about you. It can be as a chastisement, as a correction, but that's not what it's meant to be this morning. I'm not whipping you with, it's not about you. I'm trying to encourage you that it doesn't have to be about you. Because when I view it as a correction, that's one thing, but when I view it as an encouragement, as a perspective change in my life, what it does is it takes that burden off of my shoulders. It relieves the pressure of me having to live a life perfect. I don't have to. It's not about me. What this can do is it can improve your self-esteem. By the way, Self-esteem is a, is a real problem that everyone faces in their life, and the world has their answer. Self-affirmation, right? Words of, I can do this. And that motivates you, but the problem is, where is the focus? The focus doesn't change. The focus is still on you. I can do this. It's still a self-centered focus. Even, by the way, when we misclaim Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. By, by the way, that was Paul saying that he could be rich or poor, and it didn't matter. <laughs> that was the context of that verse. He wasn't saying I could be an entrepreneur if I want, he wasn't saying, I can do anything I put my mind to. He was saying, whether you provide for me, as a mission, he was a missionary, he was writing to a church that was supporting him. He was saying, whether you support me or not, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's the one providing, not you. But when we quote that, we still emphasize, I can do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not the focus. The whole point of that 
was through Christ. The whole point of Paul writing that verse was to say, it's not about you, church, that's providing for me, and it's not about me needing. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. My provision comes from him. That's what Paul was saying. So even when we claim that, we're, we're putting the focus still on me. John 3, 27 says, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. That has to be our focus in life. He must increase, but I must decrease. When you feel like you're not good enough at your job, in your marriage, as a parent, in your ministry, you're not supposed to be. You're not supposed to be. You're not supposed to be good enough. You're not supposed to be perfect. But God is. It's not about you. Matthew 22, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You know what you have to do? Love God. Love your neighbor. See, the Christian life, it's really simple. Not easy. I didn't say easy. Really simple. We complicate it when we turn the focus on ourselves, Solomon put it this way in Ecclesiastes. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. What were those commandments? The first, love God. The second, liken to it, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the focus that we're putting on yourself, turn that around. It's going to make our life a lot simpler. It will transform your relationships. When you turn your focus and you realize it's not about you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd help us.